Well, as you heard, we will be looking at 1 John chapter 5, so please turn there. We'll be looking at the first five verses. The author of 1 John was supposedly, and it has been, it has been asserted that it is one of the twelve disciples, it's in fact John himself. And John is writing to a community of believers who are facing challenges from false teaching and internal divisions. There were various competing interpretations of Jesus' teaching and what the true nature of Christian faith really looked like. But the prime purpose for which 1 John is, is written it is written to believers so that they would know and have assurance that they are, in fact, children of God. So as we read it, we will keep these things in mind. This is 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Lord, as we come now to hear from you, would you give us assurance to those who need it and conviction to those who need it? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I used to work for a tech company that worked with a lot of the major tech companies, such as Verizon and AT&T. And part of my job was driving to clients' houses to help them to troubleshoot and set up their, their devices. Sometimes I'd have to drive quite far, late at night, during the wintertime even. And it, it could be quite difficult. Well, on one particular day, as I was coming back and headed towards Pittsburgh, not too far out, but still this city was very unfamiliar to me, my, so, my phone all of a sudden gave out. It wasn't that I didn't have a charger, it's the phone just died. And I had no idea where to go. I had no idea what to do. And after stopping and asking some people where to go, I had no clue what they were talking about because I didn't know the direction markers and all these other kinds of things that they were pointing out to me. Say, oh, just look for this. Look for this other thing. I was like, what are those things? I don't know what those are. I'm not from here. So after failing in that regards, I still drove around in desperation. And right when I was about to lose hope, I saw signs. Signs that said, 
Pittsburgh this way. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go on the right way. And I would see another sign, Pittsburgh, X amount of miles. Another sign, Pittsburgh, X amount of miles. And these signs enabled me to get back on the path that I was on. And as each sign that I passed, with each new sign that I passed, with each new sign confirming that I was going the direction that I was supposed to, I grew in confidence because I knew that I was going the right way. And that really is what a signpost does, isn't it? Signposts are there to offer clear guidance and direction. They're tangible progress markers that give you dependable direction. And just as these signposts instill confidence that we are on the road, the right road, John gives us these spiritual signposts as well to believers to ensure that they are going the right direction, to ensure that they are, in fact, God's children. John, really, his aim at the end of the day, and he says this at the end of 1 John, he says, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. He says that because we often struggle with, with assurance. We struggle with a sense of confidence that I am, in fact, a child of God. So he writes these things to you so that you can own your rebirth with Christ-centered confidence. So grasping this main message to own your rebirth with Christ-centered confidence, we can look at each of the signposts that we see here in 1 John. Look with me at verse 1. The first signpost that John gives us that we are headed in the right direction is that we are believing in Jesus and loving his people. It says this in verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And this is really important. Jesus is the, the man from Nazareth. He's the, the miracle worker, the, the teacher, the word. He's your advocate, your savior. If you don't believe in Jesus, which is the crux, the cornerstone of Christianity, then you're, you're in trouble. You can't believe in Jesus and believe in Muhammad or Buddha, or fill in any blank. You have to leave in Jesus, and not just the Jesus that you make in your own image, but the Jesus that is, that is revealed in the Scriptures. This is the fundamental prerequisite to understand that you are on the right path. And belief in Jesus is involving the entirety of our being. It's entrusting all that you are to all that He is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, not a truth, not one of many lives. He's not simply a good man or a great teacher. He is God himself. The ancient of days, the eternal one who is clothed with power and dominion. This is key to being born of God, is believing who Jesus says 
that Jesus is. But it doesn't just say that, does it? It goes on at the end of verse 1 to say, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So loving God and loving others are foundational principles for the Christian faith. In fact, it's a natural outgrowth of our relationship with God that flows into how we love the people around us. You ought to love the people of God because you love God. If you don't love God's people, but you say that you love God, there's a disconnect. In fact, in 1 John 4, verses 20 to 21, it says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So look around at each other. Take a look. These are the people that God calls you to love. And it is there for your assurance. He doesn't say love each other perfectly. I don't love you perfectly. You don't love me perfectly. But if that love is there, it is a signpost from the Lord to assure you that you are heading the right direction. But sometimes we have, we have a struggle. What exactly does love look like? Well, love looks like coming alongside a brother or sister going through a difficult time. It looks like encouraging a brother or sister who is battling against sin. It looks like constantly being ready to forgive and always seeking peace with one another if possible, and insofar as it depends on you. It looks like a willingness to pray with and for one another, always seeking to bless those in your community of faith. It's not making and allowing secondary faith matters to drive a wedge between you and others. And it's not harboring hatred or indifference towards other believers. So if this is a signpost, then we just look at ourselves and we say, do you love other believers? Because this is evidence of whether you are, in fact, born of God. But wait a minute. Because some of you might find this inspiring. And you look at this criteria and you say, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing too bad at loving the people around me. But there are some of us in this room who might just be disheartened by that. Because you look at your love and you say, well, it just doesn't measure up to what it's supposed to be. I don't love the people around me the way I'm supposed to. And in fact, I struggle to believe Jesus at times, even though I know deep down I have no reason not to believe him. In Mark 9, 14 to 21, there's a man who has a demon-possessed son, and he takes that demon-possessed son to the disciples, and the disciples, for whatever reason, cannot heal him. And then when he sees Jesus off in the distance, he runs to Jesus in desperation, asking for Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus says this, All things 
are possible for one who believes. This is how the man replies. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Can you relate to that? See, this interaction gets at the very heart of that struggle. The doubt and faith. And how we're not on this constant trajectory of Yes, of course, I always believe. I always love. It's recognizing that, no, we, we struggle with these things. And so if we just simply look at ourselves and we say, okay, I am going to be the benchmark, the signpost to know that I'm a believer, I don't know about you, but I would be quite discouraged. Because when I look at my own life, I have times of doubt and disbelief. I have to ask Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So if we stay there, we are going to get discouraged. But listen, your God is gentle. Your God is compassionate and understanding. And when you look at that example in Mark, it should give you nothing but encouragement. So even when you fail to love, and when he, even when you have times of doubt, Know that there was one who never, ever failed and never had a moment of doubt. And he is the one who has sealed you with his promised Holy Spirit. So it doesn't depend on you. So don't just look at yourself. Look at Christ. And in looking at Christ, allow that to be your confidence. Yes, use this as a signpost. But don't stay there. Always look to Him. So own your rebirth with Christ-centered confidence and use the signpost of believing in Jesus and loving His people firstly. But then secondly, we have another signpost. And that signpost is obeying God's commands. Not too long before I came in, in July for my internship with you guys, I was able to convince Kate to allow me to get a motorcycle. It took a lot of requests, a lot of convincing. But she gave me two conditions. She said, I, I will allow you to get a motorcycle if, one, you will go to a safety training course. I said, okay, that seems fair. And she said, okay, and then two, if you will always wear a helmet no matter what. And I've done both of those things. Not to mention just because they're sound advice. But I've done those things because I love Kate and I want to honor her with what she asked me to do. So then you look at verse 2, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So part of loving God is obeying the conditions that he has set for us to follow. It's a clear evidence of whether we love God or we do not. We are to live a life of holiness that is separated from the patterns of sin in the world. We're not to be lying. We're not to be stealing. We're not to be gossiping. 
We're to be pursuing righteousness, integrity, and purity in every area of our life. Jesus says in John 14, He says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. So that anyone who loves Me will, will obey My teaching. My Father will love them, and He will come to them, and He will make His home with them, and anyone who does not love Me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who has sent me. When you love and do what God has called you to do, this also demonstrates, this also helps you to see how to love each other. Because God is the source of love. And when you love Him, you are, through that love, enabled to understand how you are to love one another. This is the best way to love. See, if I were to love Mike's way, Mike's way is not always the right way. In fact, most of the time, Mike's love is the wrong way. But if I love the way that God's called me to love, then I can love you the way that you were designed to be loved. For this, in, in verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. This is really key when you think of signposts. For some, and usually this is before you become a Christian, the idea of God's commandments were nothing but heartache for you. God's commands were in direct they were directly opposite to everything that you in your heart wanted to do. So of course they're burdensome. Of course you're not going to follow because you don't love God or the things of God. But if you're a child of God who's been set free, God's commandments for you become the delight of your heart. So John has given us this signpost then to say, are God's commandments for you a burden? Or are they a delight? Psalm 119 says this in verse 24, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 35, Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I delight. Verse 47, I delight in your commands because I love them. The child of God doesn't find the commandments of God burdensome because they are the truest, deepest way of direction of how do I love God and how do I love others. It is God saying, this is what it looks like to love me and this is what it looks like to love others. They are nothing but safeguards for you to follow. They actually set you free instead of enslaving you. So are they a burden for you? But upon hearing this, some of you might find, some of you might be encouraged. You might say, okay, God's commandments aren't burdensome for me. Or at least they weren't to the extent that they had been in the past. Largely, they are my joy. And I can raise my hand and hallelujah to that. But there's others of you, when you hear this signpost, you might be saying, this is nothing but dismay for me. 
these circumstances don't line up with the reality of, of my life. And I just find this discouraging. If this is the signpost, man, I'm in trouble. But you are assured by Christ's obedience. You are assured by Christ's obedience. If you were to be the one who your salvation depended upon, if I were to be the one that my salvation depended on, I would be totally discouraged and lost. But the Lord is obedient. Jesus Christ came because we could not obey His law. He knew that. He knew what His people needed. And Jesus' obedience to the law is a model and a means for us to walk in righteousness. Through His perfect obedience, Christ fulfilled all the requirements of the law and secured redemption for you. Because if you had to do it, you would always fail. And so as you abide in Him, and His love abides in you, you are empowered to walk in obedience, which further confirms your status as a child of God. Your assurance rests not on your own merits, not on your own good works, but in Christ's obedience on your behalf. And this should give you Christ-centered confidence. To not just look at yourself and all of your weaknesses. Yes, that's there. Yes, that's a signpost. But if you remain there, you will just get discouraged. Look to the man who in every single circumstance perfectly obeyed the commandments of the Lord. He is your guarantee. He is your security. This gives you Christ-centered confidence. John wants you to be encouraged. John wants you to know that you have eternal life. We come to the third signpost here. And for some, this might be the most difficult one. The third signpost is found in verses 4 and 5 and says this. It's overcoming the world. So it's not just loving God and loving others. It's not just finding His commandments a delight. But it's also overcoming the world through faith. And I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, The Disney's Cars. I really enjoy that show. But the opening line goes something like this. It says this, here we go. Focus. Speed. I am speed. One winner, one loser, or 42 losers. I eat losers for breakfast. Breakfast? Maybe I should have had breakfast. Brecky could be good for me. No, no, no. Focus. Speed. Faster than fast. Quicker than quick. I am lightning. This is the little pep talk that, that Lightning McQueen gives to himself before he zooms off onto the, onto the course. He is going to win because he is Lightning. Lightning McQueen. He does not have a doubt in his mind. And in much the same way, you will overcome because you are a child of God. 
It says in verse 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So through the regenerative work of God, believers emerge victorious over the allure and the influence of the world. You don't live in your sin anymore. You are a child of God. How could you live in it? You no longer succumb to sin and its empty promises in deceptive ways, but you stand firm in your faith. And he says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Did you notice that? Look at all the major world religions. What is their solution? Be a good person. Follow all these laws. Christ is faith. Your faith overcomes the world. Not your obedience. Not your law-keeping, because those are flawed. It's your faith. Simple faith. Gentle trust. That is what overcomes the world. That is what enables you to overcome every single obstacle and challenge that the world presents you. Through this faith, you are empowered to live and overcome any temptation that you face. And that's exciting. And that's wonderful because, again, it doesn't depend on us. But even so, when you look at this, and you look at this as a signpost, some of you might be encouraged saying, I got that. Tick the box. But again, there might be some of us in this room that are discouraged by these things. I am living in sin. Enslaved to it. I can't escape. Or it could just be any number of other examples you want to put in there. And so for you, you say, okay, well, if this is one of the signposts of being a believer, then I am very scared. Because I don't see myself overcoming. I see myself failing time and time and time again. Take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame on your behalf so that when you are faithless, He is always faithful. Romans 8.31 says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously Give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It doesn't depend on you. And praise the Lord for that. And because it doesn't depend on you, 
This should give you Christ-centered confidence. Signposts are really important. They're there to make sure that we are on the right track. C.S. Lewis once said this, he said, The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are on the wrong path. Your path is leading to eternal destruction. This is your signpost. This is God's grace to you to say, look, the U-turn is there. You think you're going the right way, but you're not. He says, U-turn. Do that now. And believer, again, take heart. Let these Scripture signposts guide you and convict you. Yes. But despite your failures, press on toward the goal to win the prize, to win the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Embrace your seal, your assurance, your grounding in Christ's victory, obedience, and faithfulness, not your own. And rejoice as God's child, resting in His unwavering love and grace. Own your rebirth through Christ-centered confidence. Lord, we come to you. Regardless of where we fall on this spectrum, whether we're in the, the muck, saying, I look at these signposts and boy, am I in trouble. Or we look at these signposts and we praise you for the growth that you have caused in us. Either of those are from you. Encourage us, Lord, to examine our hearts, to use these signposts as a way to encourage ourselves to continue walking in the path that leads to Mount Zion. But also to encourage one another along the way to say, look, this isn't about your obedience. This isn't about your faithfulness. This isn't about your good works. Christ has done these things for you. You are to believe in Him and put your faith and trust in Him. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. And help us to own our rebirth through Christ-centered confidence and not through our own self-confidence. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.